This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. You're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. It's the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It's the 2011 World Championship Reunion Weekend, and it's the Big Puma, Lance Berkman, as part of a special flashback Friday. And a fastball and a fly ball deep into center field. Get up, baby! Get up! Get up! Oh, yeah! Two-run homer, and there goes that. He hasn't given up a run, and he has his first World Series home run. It's two-to-one Redbird. Way to go, Lance Berkman. He's catching them all. Brian Finch going to sit down and interview Lance Berkman as part of a flashback Friday in just a couple of moments here. It's been a big weekend. In fact, as I record this, I am fresh off coming down from upstairs watching the 2011 reunion. Really, really special. I mean, if you lived through it, uh, I think it was was hard not to be a little emotional in whatever way you display that. I mean, just so many great memories. The fans' response was so warm seeing the guys jump out of the trucks and salute the fans and then get another ovation after taking a team photo and doing the whole meet and greet handshake thing as they walk down the right field line and back through the wagon gate was just special uh what cardinal baseball is about remembering those legendary teams and legendary figures we're going to have tons of coverage on this reunion weekend on our season finale, actually, of Cardinals Insider that is coming up, depending on where you live and where you watch, October 2nd through the 4th, and then, of course, on YouTube.com slash Cardinals as well. But right now, I'm going to let you hear from Lance Berkman in just a moment. As I said, he sat down with Brian Finch from the Cardinals Museum. Lance played first base for really one season, 2012, after Albert departed. Uh, filled in in a bunch of different ways, uh, playing a little infield, a little outfield, just being a great veteran presence in 2011 after battling the Cardinals for so many years as a member of those killer bees in the Houston Astros. Brian and Lance are going to talk about that. They'll talk about the magic, the run that was 2011, what it was like inside the clubhouse as things were unfolding what Lance's view was of the Atlanta Braves falling back to the pack, really kind of cratering at the end, and the Cardinals' ability to win on the final day of the season, see the Braves lose, and his confidence, actually, that that is exactly the way it was going to play out. I found that part interesting. I think that you will, too. Lance is a great communicator, a fantastic storyteller. You're really going to enjoy this if you are a Cardinal fan, if you are a baseball fan, if you're just a fan of good stories. Of course, Lance played first base some, as I mentioned, here in St. Louis, and so does Paul Goldschmidt right now. And on Saturday, October 2nd, 30,000 fans ages 16 and older going to take home their very own bobblehead of Cardinal first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. This bobblehead also includes a photo frame connected to the base, courtesy of Purina Tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. It's got the photo frame, the Goldie Bobble, and there's a little dog in the corner. It is uh, part of Pooches in the Park Day, 
here on October the 7th. Cardinals.com slash promotions to get your tickets. All right, let's get to it. Special teams, special years, special weekend. Ten years later, Lance Berkman recalling all of it in great and uh, entertaining detail with Brian Finch of the Cardinals Museum. Here it is. It's a Flashback Friday on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Today we have a player that tormented the Cardinals as a member of another National League Central rival for many years. But, but, that's right. He, he, he made good. Came over here as a free agent and uh, really changed um, a little bit of the clubhouse culture in 2011 and was a huge force down the stretch. Uh, none other than Lance Berkman. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I'm sure it's fun for you to see your teammates this weekend. I don't know if you have had a chance to run anybody just yet. I ran into a couple guys walking over here, but just a few. So okay. I'm really excited to see them. Sounds good. Well, we're going to talk about 2011 a lot. But before we talk about that championship season, I'm curious to know what was it like being in Houston and a little bit about that rivalry because – it didn't get any better than Astros Cardinals, particularly in the mid 2000s. What was it like being a member of the Astros? Man, it was uh, those games were the best. I mean, I've you know played a lot of baseball, been in a lot of you know seen a lot of the rivalries, played a little bit with the Yankees, and did the, the you know the whole Boston New York rivalry thing there. But for sure, those that, especially like you know four, five, and six, those three years because we both had really good teams. Mm -hmm. And it, w it was two teams that I think had a tremendous amount of respect for each other. So the games were really cool because, you know, there are certain rivalries. Like, I, I absolutely hate the Brewers, you know, with a passion. <laughs> and, you know, when we were here in that year in 2011, I think, you know, the Brewers actually won the Central. But, and, and they, were, they had some talented guys, but they were jerks. I mean, I just couldn't stand pretty much everybody on their team. <laughs> the difference, you know, between the two is like, I, you know, we had a – a kind of a love-hate with the Cardinals because I, I thought, I mean, I had so much respect for guys like Scott Rowland and Jim Edmonds and obviously Albert and, and Yachty and those guys. They just play the game the right way, very respectful. You know, Chris Carpenter was a big part of that too, Wayno. Um, just great guys, but really good players. And then we had a bunch of really good guys and good players. So there was a, there was a mutual respect and the games were tremendous. And, and you know, Places both both atmospheres were great. Whether I don't know if anybody ever got a chance to come to Houston for that, but you couldn't hear yourself think hardly. You know when we're playing, and then of course here the fans are great. So every time we played, it was just electricity, and and the games always seemed like you know they were decided late, and there was very few blowouts, and it was just a really good good rivalry. I'm glad you talk about that and the respect for one another. Of course, we all remember the Killer Bees. Um, you were one of those Killer Bees down in Houston. <laughs> I personally couldn't stand the buzzing noise. Uh, uh, look, it, I didn't like but, it either. I mean, we were just like, this is ridiculous. I but mean, your fans were totally into it. And, um, of course, in 04, when we came out on top, and then 05, we all thought that was our year. Uh, Y'all came out on top and went to the World Series, and, and that was just great baseball. And it was fun when you think back on it just to be part of just to be part of that, and how many other teams didn't get to be part of that? So, uh, Well, I mean, we played, and of course the Cardinals, I think, could probably say the same thing, but, and I think this is a very unusual experience, but 
we played three years, four, five, and six, and we we had we were we never played a meaningless game in Houston. So in 04, we won the wild card on the last day of the season. 05, same thing, last day of the season, we clinched a playoff spot. And then 06, we were eliminated on the last day of the season. So I don't know that there's too many big leaguers that got the experience of playing all 162 games that counted. So, you know, sometimes you'll clinch and then you'll play the last week of the season. You're kind of treading water waiting for the playoffs. But we in Houston, those three years, it's like, all, you know, you're grinding it out for 162 games and you're kind of on the edge of your seat. So, um, you know, I re that's one another thing I remember about that period of time that was, was really great. And the funny thing is, in 2006, I felt like the Cardinals and the Astros both had the weakest teams of the whole three-year run, and the Cardinals end up winning it that year. Like when we, you know, in 06, I was like, yeah, neither one of us are probably going to do much, and then all of a sudden they, the, the Cardinals won. So um, it was weird how that kind of played out because I felt like, the 04 Cardinals team was the best of the of the mm -hmm. iteration. 05 was not quite as good, but still really good. And then 06, I was like, eh. But then they won, so it's crazy. Baseball's a crazy sport. So this is going to get us into 2011, but from the opposite side of the field, did you have any idea of the intensity, focus, uh, all those words we you know the adjectives we want to put together about Albert Pujols? Maybe Yadier Molina, but we look at Albert as being that that guy. Um, I'm sure you saw it a little bit, but then getting here in 2011, did did it all make sense, or did you just not even have an idea being on the same team in 2011? Oh, of course. You know, we had a great idea. I mean, because we okay. had we were playing against these guys, but the guy that that really to me start it started with was Tony Larusa. I mean, for me, he's the guy, and of course Albert. You know, he's out there. Obviously, he's got a lot of intensity, but. I mean, you've never seen somebody manage. Like, when, I, when we played against Tony, I wanted to fist fight him literally every game. Like, I offered to meet him in the parking lot several times. Uh, and you just hated him, you know, because you're like, this guy's wearing sunglasses at night, and he's over there, and he's stoic. And, you know, you feel like, oh, he thinks he's smarter than the game with all these moves. And, and so if I could say there was one thing I didn't understand was, was Tony and his genius and – He's my favorite. He became my favorite manager. He went from, like, the guy that I really didn't like the most maybe in the game to the guy that I might, might have the most respect and affection for now mm -hmm. after having played for him. So totally different guy behind the scenes when you're playing for him as opposed to playing against him. And, of course, you know, you understand from competing against all the players the intensity level that they have, and Yachty's that way, and Albert's that way, and, you know, when Carp pitched and Wayno pitched, I mean, you could just, they exude intensity, so I knew what that was all about, but I really didn't know, being on the team, you know, kind of how Tony interacted and how he met, you know, and that was the thing, you go all the way back to when he took the team over, I think at 96 or some, you know, kind of mm -hmm. back in those days. You're right. From that point until he quit in 11, every single Cardinals team played with that same kind of intensity and edge, and there were many players that came through that clubhouse. So I give him a lot of credit for creating that edge and creating that environment that, that made guys play with intensity, which is increasingly rare as a collective group at the big league level. So 2010, you're granted free agency. Your time with the Astros is complete. Why St. Louis? Well, for the reasons we're talking about, because I had played against them for so many years and had – more respect for the Cardinals organization and the players and that I knew about, you know, um, than any other place in baseball. And of course, I feel like my personality and this city is a, is a is a great fit. And um, you know, so 
love baseball, intense about the games, but but a little bit more laid back, but but have the real strong connection to the history of the game. All of those things made this to me just a no brainer. In fact, I was you know I was like I'm coming here. I'm I'm not playing. So it's a good thing they didn't know that in negotiations. But um, I was I was dead set on coming here to play baseball. So you go into spring training. What were your expectations, and what do you feel the, the team's expectations were in that spring training in 2011? Well, for me personally, it was I was looking to get back to a high level of play because the year before I'd had a couple of injuries, and you know it was the worst year by far of my career to that point. And you kind of feel like you know at that time, that was my 34-year-old season, and so when you start creeping into your mid-30s, you know you're not quite as good as you were physically and mentally. You're not quite as you know, edgy, and so I was looking to, to come back, like to really establish, reestablish myself as a good player. Mm -hmm. And um, so, heading into spring training, that whole off season for me was kind of like proving that I could still play. And then, in terms of our team attitude, I felt like we, had, on paper, we had the best team in baseball um, because at that time, going into spring training, you know, you had you had Adam Wainwright, Chris Carpenter, your ace and or co aces, I guess you would say, and then we had another. You know, we had Jake Westbrook, who, was, who had been an ace with the Indians. So our pitching staff was really, really strong. Kyle Osh, you know, Jaime Garcia is a young and upcoming left-hander that was really good. I didn't see a whole lot of weaknesses in our team on paper. I mean, I felt we had a great mix of veterans and young players and, and a lot of talent. And I felt like, you know, if I could get back to form, you know, you'd have a 3-4-5 with me and Albert and Matt. And, you know, that's – that, that's a pretty ferocious lineup to try to get through with some guys at the top. I mean, so I felt like we were the World Series front runner heading into spring training. And, of course, the big blow there was Wayno blew his elbow out. And now you're starting to go, well, wait a minute, that, that's a big damper, so to speak. I still felt like we were good, but, it, but that really definitely put a different spin on the start of the season for sure. So getting into the season – we all remember the end of the season, right? Everybody remembers what happened at the end. But really getting into the season, that, of course, was a huge blow. But the team did relatively well. Even into mid-July, we were right there at the top of the division, hanging on, doing just fine. Um, but in a matter of about three weeks, everything turned. It's like somebody pulled the rug out from under us. And by mid-July, around August 20th, August 23rd, we, we find ourselves upside down, um, couldn't find our way. I know from other players, but I want to hear from you. Did, did you. What did you feel at that point? And then we know there was a players' meeting. Um, so kind of take us through. Like, it, it, Was it one of those situations where, my gosh, we just felt like everything was going against us, you couldn't do anything right, or... You tell yeah, us. I mean, it was it was weird because we we felt like I just remember, you know, we we you could look around the clubhouse, you could see a lot of talent, but we weren't able to put it all together. It seemed like it would, you know, you get a good pitching performance, and the offense wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. And you know, I don't know if you remember, but Albert had the worst first half of his whole career to that point. You know, he was not good for the first two or three months. Um, you know, we had some. We were just kind of we. The closer situation was like in flux because we were having a hard time closing games out. Um, you know, we had a. I think the the trade that that Mo pulled off mm -hmm. middle of the season really helped us because. And I have nothing against Ryan Terrio. He's gr he was a great player and a great part of that team. But 
I think when we got for call, that really solidified our defense at shortstop because you know the the, the the course of a major league season, you know you're you're kind of looking at things in the aggregate, and and if you can you can stick a guy out there at short or whatever and get by for a game or two or even a couple of weeks, but you really have to have a good defense up the middle over the long haul in order to kind of you know it's just there's there's something about it. So when we stuck him at short, he solidified our defense in the middle of the field. Um, you know, we had, it kind of took us a while to get over the loss of Wayno, so there were mm -hmm. some things in the rotation. But we, you know, we traded for Edwin Jackson, who mm -hmm. gave us some good starts, and so we started to pitch a little bit better, more consistently mm -hmm. through the rotation. Uh, the bullpen kind of settled down. You know, we had Fernando Salas closing mm -hmm. games out for a while, and then Mott took over the closer role, and we just, you know, so it seemed like guys kind of got slotted in to where they were able to play to their level, and everything just sort of kind of came together at the right time. So part of that trial was the, what the period that you're talking about where we look up and we're in August and, you know, we were we had just gotten swept by the Dodgers at home. And that was a miserable time because, you know, as great as the fans in St. Louis are, I think they kind of had enough. And I just remember looking around and, like, there's like 10,000 people in the stands and there's usually like twenty five or 30,000. And it kind of felt like the city was like, you know, these guys, they're not going to put it together. And so – I just remember feeling really low after that last game in the in the Dodgers series when we'd been swept, and that was when that put the players only meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of locked ourselves in the room, and I remember you know several guys spoke, but the one guy that I remember most vividly is Chris Carpenter. Um, you know, he he stood up and sort of delivered an impassioned speech, and the gist of the speech was. Guys, we don't know what's going to happen going forward, but dadgummit, we're professionals. We represent this organization, and we're going to come to the ballpark every day and rededicate ourselves to a level of professionalism, you know, that maybe we had slipped a little bit on. So, you know, guys sort of repurpose themselves, so to speak, say, you know what, we may, we may finish as an also-ran, but for the rest of the season we're going to come to the ballpark every day purposing ourselves to be just professional. Let's, you know, let's get this thing done. We're better than this. And so um, – it was a fortuitous part of the schedule. We were chasing the Braves. We were down at that point 10 games out of the wild card, and they were the team in front of us. And we happened to have a four-game series like right after that with them, which we swept all four games. And that, when you go from 10 games back to six games back in a four-day period of time, that's a huge boost mm -hmm. that we sort of rode into September. And then the other series that I remember really well, we had a four-game series in Philly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you all remember that, but that year they had Roy Halladay. They had a rotation that was like, holy smokes. I mean, they had yeah, Roy Halladay and yeah. Cliff Lee and, and uh, Cole Hamels and yep. Roy Oswald. Oswald. And, I mean, they got – so it's like we got to go in there and play them four games, and we can't afford really to lose any of them. And we went in there and won three out of four, which was like – I mean, that was legit. I mean, mm -hmm. that series was intense and kind of gave us confidence when, when we matched up with them again in the, mm -hmm. in the NLDS – but I, those two series for sure stand out to me as kind of like when we knew that we were the best team in baseball. Like we knew that we were going to make the playoffs. We knew we were going to make a deep run. Uh, and that those two series really gave us a lot of confidence that we could do it. Speaking of meetings, um, tell me a little bit about the meetings that you had with the team. Um, what was it like for you coming in as a seasoned hitter, a veteran hitter, uh, and working with those other hitters in, in the meetings. And I've been tipped off to ask yeah, you this well, question. I mean, you know, I, I like to have fun. You know, my personality, like when it's time to compete, I'm all business, and, you know, I feel like I can kind of flip the switch. But 
off the field, I like to keep it light, and mm -hmm. it's fun to just mess with guys. And so, you know, part of those hitters meetings for me, I didn't get a whole lot out of them because it's like at this point in my career, I've been around the league. Like, I know these pitchers. I don't need to sit in a meeting for 20 minutes. I mean, I know what I'm going to do when I go up there or try to do. And so we got into these meetings, and guys were like, you know, and you go through the roster of the other team's pitching staff. And I remember one of the games we were playing uh, against Cincinnati, and they, that's when Chapman was closing for the Reds. And, you know, we had, I'd faced him several times before with Houston, and, like, I'd seen, you know, so I kind of had a little strategy in my head. And they're like, now, Chapman, he's the closer. And I said, well, wait, you know, does anybody have anything on him? And I said, all right, I do. I said, this guy's better than anybody on our roster. Like, we, you know, he will absolutely dominate you if you don't, you know, go up there with a, with a game plan. I said, here's how you got to face this guy. I said, you got to put him in a hitter's count, and you start swinging before he lets the ball go. Like, I mean, 1-0, or you just guess. Like, I think he's throwing a heater, and when he turns like this, that's when you start your swing, and then you might have a chance to hit him. And, and Albert was like, whoa, 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 you know, wait a minute. You know, he was, like, offended. And I was like, no, I mean, you know, you got to cheat. Like, you got to know yourself. Maybe you can, Albert, but I have to start swinging when he lets it go. And so we had this kind of back and forth, and, and, and uh, it, was, it was kind of funny. Everybody laughed. And then from that point forward, it was like we'd do things. Like there was a guy named Matt Latos who was a real good pitcher for a while. He kind of was a flash in the pan a little bit, but for, he had a two or three really good years. And so I asked, would ask if anybody's Latos intolerant, you know, they may want to sit on the bench that day. And, you know, so we would – then it became sort of like who could come up with the most clever thing in the hitters meeting, and, and it – and it turned into a comedy show as opposed to something, you know, serious. So, anyway, things like that, um, I remember, of course, I, I love kind of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So let's fast forward. We, we come down the stretch, and we're in the thick of it. You guys are right in the, the heat of the playoff race, and it gets to the final day of the season. What do you remember from that final day of the season? Well, I, you know, it's, it's weird because I don't ever remember thinking we weren't going to make the playoffs. Like, okay. we, you know. I just – when we got on that run, I know it took us to the last day of the season to clinch, but in my mind, I really what we were thinking is we're going to have to go to Atlanta and beat them in a one-game playoff because we had – if we took – we knew going into Houston we had a – I think it was a four-game – maybe it was a three-game, but we had a series to finish the year in Houston, and we either had to win two out of three or three out of four to guarantee uh, a one-game playoff. And so I knew we were going to beat Houston – at least two out of three, we'd probably end up sweeping them or beat them three out of four. So I wasn't worried about that. And I knew that we were going to at least have a chance at a one game or against the Braves. And I knew we were going to win that. So it was almost like, okay, the Braves choked it off and we don't have to play that game. And it didn't feel, I'd, and I can only speak for myself, mm -hmm. it was almost like, well, yeah, that was totally what was going to happen. It didn't surprise me at all. I was not dismayed in any way. And I didn't think ever remember thinking we're not going to make the playoffs. So we make the playoffs. Big celebration in Houston. I don't know if that was bittersweet for you or, or didn't matter. Or you're a visitor now in the clubhouse. No, I actually, I mean, I'd love to, to beat the – in fact, if you look back at the numbers, I think I had one of the best series of the year against Houston. <laughs> I wanted to grind them into the earth. So that's, you know, that's kind of my attitude about that. So. <laughs> I think you said that very succinctly. Yeah, Thank you. that's right. <laughs> so now we go to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And really, outside of an epic World Series, that – National League Division Series against the Phillies uh, really set the tone more than anything else. And in some sense, the, the NLCS kind of gets lost between the, the Division Series and the World Series. Yeah, because the Brewers stunk, and we were way better than them, and it wasn't even a series. I mean, that, 
like the the team like once we beat the and it was weird because I remember when we clinched the playoffs and we were going into the NLDS, a lot, the young guys, of course, were celebrating, but there was several of us older guys that were like, we didn't even, I mean, it was just like a couple of high fives. I mean, great, we made the playoffs. Like, that's not what we're here to do. Like, we're here to win the World Series. And I just remember, you know, of course, when we beat the Phillies, there was a little bit more of a celebration because of the way it happened. I mean, the 1-0 game or whatever, I mean, that was intense. And, and when you win a playoff series in that fashion, there's sort of this release, and so there's a little bit more of a celebration. But there was still this sense of unfinished business. We go into the series against the Brewers. We pretty much, I mean, that was never even really a series. And so I just remember when we won that, again, we were excited to go to the World Series, but we still felt like, I mean, there was, I, 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 I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of communicating it, but it was almost like, yeah, we're happy, but there's, this is, we're not done. Like, we've got to win the World Series in order for it to really feel like we've achieved this team's full potential. And so, you know, to varying degrees, I, I'm, again, I can only speak for myself, but there was myself and several others that were like, all right, this is great. Now let's go get the next series. So, I don't know if this is a very fair question, but, and of course, any, you know, game five, NLDS, game seven, did you ever think, Oh man, it could come to an end tonight, or we're up against the wall. And that's such a cliche term. But game five against Halliday, um, do you think? No, I like our chances. We've got Carp. Uh, what was your mindset going into game five? You know, it's kind of weird because when it, when you're all these things can be appreciated in hindsight. Because when you're playing and when you're in that mode, you, you're you're not really thinking that. You're just like, this is another game. And you, and, you know, at that point, you have so much baseball experience, you know that anything can happen. I mean, it, Halliday and Carpenter could have been a 10-11 to 11 game. I mean, it just turned out to be a one to nothing game. But I've played in plenty of games where our ace versus their ace, and they're both out of the game by the third inning, and now it's a slugfest against the bullpen. So you just don't know what's going to happen. I just feel like, you know, you show up, you play the game that night, and as the game evolves, you know, the emotions obviously go up and down. But I don't remember ever, like, prognosticating what may or may not happen when you're in the playoffs it's literally like we're playing tonight the intensity's on every at bat on every pitch and you just play and then at the end of the game you kind of look up and then you can sort of oh gosh you know that was a huge moment or man what you know and and review it in your mind but while you're going through it it's just kind of nose to the grindstone really as a player so let's get into the world series we talked about the division series we you know, like you said, I think there was such um, emotion for the entire team with the Brewers. There was all this backstory, um, Tony Plush, T Plush, or whatever, with the outfielder, uh, with the Brewers. There was all these things going on, and um, and of course our Tony Clarusa making all the bullpen changes, but really just manipulating our pitching staff to a T, just taking care of business there against the Brewers. Well, yeah, and, and the, the, the the huge advantage we had against the Brewers is we knew that Granky and Gallardo, who are their two best pitchers, couldn't pitch in the postseason. I mean, they were both, like, they just get too overwrought and miss over the plate. So, like, they were totally different in the postseason than they were in the regular season. And, and again, I no, no disrespect to those guys because I know, you know, Zach has figured it out and he's learned how to mm -hmm. pitch in the postseason. But, you know, we had some guys that were really could – do it when the chips were down and we knew that they would get nervous and then you know so at that point I mean no joke like when we went in to play the Brewers nobody was concerned about them at all I mean it was like we know we're going to win this series and we did fairly handily I would say so absolutely we get into the World Series um, now you're in Texas and you know a lot about Texas was there a comfort 
playing against the Rangers, or is it different now because it's American League, National League, here's a team you haven't seen a lot before? Yeah, no, totally different. Yeah, it's, it's different because you hadn't seen them. They were a team that had some proven veteran guys that had been, you know, they'd lost the World Series the year before, so they have, you know, a playoff-laden, experienced team and a really good team. I mean, the one team in baseball that I felt like could match us, or match our offense, you know, they had, they had guys like Beltre and Josh Hamilton when he was at the peak of his powers, and, you know, Napoli was on fire, and, you know, they had, you know, guys that were really good hitters. Uh, and then their pitching staff was pretty good. You know, they had some left. What, the, the, the way I thought we were going to have some trouble is because they were they had two good left-handed starters and I knew that like I don't hit as good right-handed mm -hmm. and so I felt like that that was going to be an advantage for them because our lineup wasn't as strong against a left-handed pitcher primarily because right-handed I was like you know a, just a hacker you know left-handed I felt like a hitter right-handed I felt like a hacker so um, I felt like that that could give us a little bit of actually they had three left-handed starters mm -hmm. you know CJ, right. CJ Wilson uh, Derek Holland, and then the other, the big ugly fella. Uh, I can't remember. But um, <laughs> he was good at that point. And so, anyway, I thought, you know, that might give. And so we didn't really know what to expect going into the World Series. So we split the first two games, go down to Texas. Of course, Albert has the big game, um, game three. And, mm -hmm. um, and then things start to go in the wrong direction for us. What was the feeling in the clubhouse coming back home, knowing that we're down three to two and we have to have two wins at home or the season's over yeah and I gotta say one thing about that World Series it very easily could have been a, a sweep to us because we won game one game two we had it won and they kind of stole it from us late I don't know if y'all remember that but we had a lead going to the ninth inning and they scored two runs to go up you know and that almost never happened to us then in game three we go out there and Albert hits three homers and we score like 16 runs and just crush them so we really should have been up three games to none, and if that had happened, we'd have probably just walked away with it. But because they had stolen that game, and then, of course, they got two good pitching performances back-to-back -back in their home ballpark. And I think really probably the, the pivotal moment for me, and, and I would say probably some of the rest of the guys would agree with this, I just remember after we lost game five, immediately in the clubhouse, I mean, and Tony, when I tell you Tony never did this, I mean, he never really hardly ever came in the clubhouse. But we come in the clubhouse, and he's standing in the middle of the clubhouse, like <laughs> waiting for us to get in there. And so we, we come and we sit down, and he had a meeting, and he was like, guys, listen, we're totally fine. Here's how this thing's going to play out. He's like, we got, you know, we got a carp going in game six on short rest. He's really good at that. And then we got the, or I'm sorry, we had, because uh, Jaime started. Um, yeah, so we, had, we got Jaime going in game six. He's going to give us a great start, and then we're going to bring Cart back on short rest, and we're going to win these two games. I mean, he had, and he said some other things, but he basically had already outlined, like, this is how these two games are going to go, and this is why we're going to win. And then we were just like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and so when we left that meeting, it was just like, all right, yeah, I mean, we got to win two games at home. We've been doing this all year. And then we caught a real break because we had a rain out. We had the day off, and then there was a rain out, which if for a position player, it's agony because you, you spend those, those off days are terrible. Like you, you're not used to having them because in the regular season, you just play. You don't hardly have any off days. 
But then in the postseason, you got all these off days, and you're just you don't know what to do. You feel like you got a pterodactyl in your stomach. I mean, you just hardly can't eat, you know. And you're in this emotional purgatory where you know what do you do? And now we got to suffer through two of those days back to back. And I remember a big group of us like went to a movie here on that on that day, and we're just like, what do we do? You know, let's watch a double feature, and you know, just anything to take your mind off of it. But it ended up being a big advantage because then Carp had you know extra rest, and so could come back and and was able to, you know, give us a great performance. So uh, it really set us up well, I think, for winning those two games. So let's talk about game six. I'm sure that's why a few people came to join us here today. Uh, a big game. The first six innings, as I recall, were some of the best baseball ever played in St. Louis. It was like a Little League game. I mean, it was like <laughs> two teams, that, like Legion ball. You know, you got guys dropping fly balls. And, you know, I think Michael uh, Young at first base mm -hmm. made two errors over there. I mean, yeah. you know, major leaguers not usually doing that. So it was very sloppy. That's right. Very sloppy. Absolutely. And then the game turns. Yeah. Absolutely turns. And you had some huge, huge moments. Take us through your at-bat late in the game in the ninth inning there. I mean, we're down, and it's on your shoulders. Everybody remembers David Freeze, but David Freeze never gets the opportunity if it's not for Lance Berkman. Well, you know, you kind of have to go back to, and this is going to be a little bit of a long-winded answer. I don't know how much time we have, but I, to set the stage for that, I got to go back to 2005 when I was playing with the Astros, and we were playing against you guys in the, in the NLCS. And we were in game five. And, of course, the year before, you know, we had lost the NLCS in seven games to you guys. And so we were kind of coming back around. Well, you know, Carp's on the – we're up three games to one. we got to win one more game to go to the first World Series in, in Astros history. And it was a huge deal. And Minute Maid was going nuts. And people were like, you know, there was electricity. And so Carp was starting. And he, was, he threw a gym, like two to one, seventh inning. We hadn't been able to get anything going. Somehow – miraculously we get two guys on base and I came up and I hit a three-run homer against Carp to put us up two runs going into the eighth inning and of course that at that point we had Lidge and we had Wheeler and we had Qualls we had a great bullpen and I was like dude we're going to the World Series first time ever fans I mean so I start I start praying I'm playing first base and I'm like Lord if you just let us get these last six outs I promise in the post-game press conference I'm going to give you all the glory that's you know that's kind of the deal that we had and so <laughs> It worked in the eighth inning, like one, two, three, no problem. I'm praying. Like we go to the ninth, we don't score. So now we're up two. We got to get three outs. Lord, just let us get these last three outs. First two guys, boom, boom. We got two outs, nobody on. Lord, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to give you all the glory. The people are like charging. Like you can see them. They're going to like storm the field. I'm like, well, shall I let them carry me off on, my on their shoulders? Or, uh, you know, no, I need to be a little more humble than that. You got this three-run homer. So, and then all of a sudden you guys know what happened. Edmonds walks on four pitches. Eckstein, or I'm sorry, Eckstein rolls a single first, 0-2 counter, 1-2, whatever it was, rolls a single. Um, Edmonds walks on four pitches. Albert comes up. We have a mound meeting, and we go to the mound, and Gar's like, you know, what do you want to what do you want to do right here? <laughs> and I said, I said, I know what I want to do. Let's walk this guy. Like who, you know. Juan Encarnacion, no disrespect, is standing on deck. And I'm like, if this dude hits a grand slam or a three-run double, then you tip your hat. But you can't pitch to the greatest hitter in the universe in this situation. I mean, he kills us. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Just pitch him careful. That's the kiss of death. I mean, if you're ever managing or coaching and you just walk the guy, don't tell your pitcher to be careful because he's guaranteed to throw one right down the middle. But I'm still praying. I feel like i got a good deal with the Lord going. You know, this thing's going to happen. And so first pitch... 
Lynch throws like a 40-foot slider. It didn't even make the dirt, and Albert swung at it, and he never did that. And I'm thinking, Lord, that's a great idea. Strike him blind. Like, you know, temporarily, <laughs> temporarily, you know. But then the next pitch, he hangs a slider. Albert hits one that hadn't landed yet. And now, you know, that place went from pandemonium to I can't even tell you. you it was so quiet. I heard Albert's cleats digging into the dirt as he's rounding first base. And I thought, Lord, that's not the deal that we had. Like, what? <laughs> And the funny part about that story is, after the game, we go back in the clubhouse about 10, 15 minutes later, we turn on the TV, and who's on there giving God all the glory for his three-run homer but Albert? And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, you don't need me to get glory for yourself, God. I got it. So the reason I tell that story is because, so fast forward to this World Series, and now when Albert hit three home runs in game three, immediately the strategy became... Uh, we're not pitching to Albert. Like, we're going to walk him any chance we get. Like, they're not going to come anywhere close to this guy. So I knew at that point it's going to fall on the dudes that are hitting behind him, which was me and Matt. Well, in that same game, Matt had gotten picked off a third, and, and he slid back into third base, and he jammed his finger real bad. So he wasn't swinging the bat very well in those next two games. So uh, Tony came to him, and he was like, you know, hey, you're going to hit fourth behind Albert for the rest of the series. And I was like, oh, gosh. You know, so then it, I knew, like, it's going to come down to one of my at-bats. So I start praying again. And this time, having learned my lesson, I just said, Lord, if I get into a big spot, just let me be able to relax, be calm, be focused. Just let me be able to compete with the ability that you have given me and let the outcome be what it is. And literally, I prayed that, like that whole off day, the whole rainout day, and here we are in game six. And so leading up to that, you know, it was a miracle that we tied it in the ninth freeze with a two-run triple. And, uh, you know, and then... Hamilton hits his two-run homer. They go back up by two runs. And I remember thinking in right field, I was like, well, you know, the Rangers, they have a great team. We're going to get Wayno back next year. We're going to be even better. Like, we'll have a chance to be back here. I just thought, you know, you come back from one two-run deficit against a really good team late in the game, it's not going to happen two innings in a row. But then I got to looking at the scoreboard, and I noticed that we had the, the, where we were at in the lineup, it was 8-9, it was you know, and then the top of the lineup. So I meant I was up six. Then I thought, oh, gosh. You know, usually you don't get up if you're sixth up in the, in the inning, but if you do, there's guaranteed to be guys on base, and there's probably going to be at least one, if not two, out. So I was like, this is it. I just had, I just knew, like, something's fixing to happen here. So we come back in, base hit, base hit, you know, to lead the inning off, and like, yep, here it is. And I mean, when I tell you I was a nervous wreck, I, you know, and I tell guys all the time, if you can't hit in the fetal position, then you can't play in the big leagues, because there, <laughs> there's so many times when you're just like, you know, but... And that was one of those. I'm in the corner of the dugout watching this whole inning develop, and I just like, it's going to come down to me. So here we go. Bunt him over, second and third. Terrio, grounder to third, score one of the runs, puts Jay at second base. First base is open, and they didn't even hesitate. I mean, Albert hadn't even gotten out of the, uh, the on-deck circle, and they're already, like, calling for four <laughs> wide ones. And so I was like, all right, you know, here it is. And I get in the on-deck circle, and I'm getting loose. And, of course, he walks down to first base. And I was a nervous wreck, and I swear, as soon as I hit the donut, like, you know, I had the donut on my bat, as soon as I took it off my bat and I took one step out of that on-deck circle, it was like calm descended. And it was just like all the nerves went away, all the, I mean, it was, it was weird. It was kind of eerie. And so I go up to the plate, and I, you know, like whenever I watch it on the DVD, which I do every day, but no, <laughs> no, no, I can see, I can see it on myself it's weird it's like I, man this dude looks really focused and like ready to hit 
And so I just went up there, and my mind was totally clear. I wasn't thinking about, like, you know, what if I don't get a hit or anything. It was literally ball, like get a good look at the ball and then just let it happen. And, you know, the, that was good. Like he made good pitches, and the pitch I ended up hitting was a, was a tough pitch. I mean, it was a cutter, about 93 coming in on my hands, and I was able to redirect it back up the middle. Um, and we score the run, and it was just like, I mean, but for, for sure that was an answered prayer. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't, I don't believe that God, like, made me get a hit. But I know for a fact that he put me in a good state of mind, you know, when I got in that batter's box that I wasn't overwhelmed by the situation, which you guys can imagine. I always tell little kids, you know, you just think all, every time you're a little kid, you're playing wiffle ball in the backyard. It's like, oh, bottom of the ninth, two outs, World Series. It's so much fun. No, if you knew what it was really like, you would never put yourself in that situation. So just having, you know, gotten the hit, it was like a huge relief, obviously. And then I thought, man, we got a chance to win the game right now. And, of course, I think AC ended up striking out or whatever. But then we, you know, we got into the next inning, and very shortly thereafter, we're walking it off and going to game seven. What an incredible answer. And thank you for sharing that and the lead up, the build up to it, because it gives such perspective. I told you I was going to ask this because everybody here that's listening, that's watching right now, we all know where we were when David Freeze hit the walk-off home run. That's for Cardinals fans, you know, that's the miracle on ice moment, the where were you when JFK was shot. Lance Berkman, where were you when David Freeze hit the walk-off home run in game six? I was in the training room. <laughs> me, so me and Albert were up in the training room because, you know, like when you get into those marathon games and it's just like you kind of want to get away from just the intensity for a minute. So we had just hit the previous inning. So like me and Albert had gone up to the training room and we're just kind of like taking a deep breath and watching the inning develop, you know, like watching the start of the inning on TV. And it was the first that he led the inning off with it. So we weren't in there for very long, but we were both there. And of course, when we saw him hit it, you know, we were sprinting out of the, out of the clubhouse <laughs> and down the tunnel and back up to, you know, to join the celebration. But that's where I was, honestly, was in the, as a matter of fact, the two most significant walk-off home runs that I've ever seen, Chris Burke's walk-off uh, to, to well, it was against the, uh, the Braves in the NLDS in 05 before we played you guys. Mm-hmm. We had that 16-inning game, I don't know if you guys like, or 18-inning game's like the longest playoff game in the history of Major League Baseball. I was also in the training room <laughs> watching that walk-off home run. So, you know, that seems to be the lucky spot if you want to go and you want to produce a, a big walk-off homer, just go to the training room. So Sounds great. So we win that. Um, I think there's a – on the video, there's a point where you're running out on the field and maybe you bumped into the umpire and there's yeah. a little bit of, uh-oh, don't want to get in the way. So there's a little humor there. But Right, yeah, exactly. And plus, I mean, that umpire, I was just – I'll be eternally grateful because there were some tough pitches that he could have called strikes maybe in my at-bat that he balled, which they were balls, but – you know, sometimes those guys choke and they get it wrong. But he did a great job. So I was wanting to make sure that I like, you know, I like this guy. I don't want to. <laughs> just, just so we're on good terms. Right. For just the, yeah, like, for you the know, next he's night. Got the line tomorrow. I mean, maybe I hit a ball down there, fair foul. Maybe it goes fair. So. That's right. That's right. Okay. So let's get to game seven. The mood after the game has to be incredible. You're coming in the clubhouse and after game six, right? Yeah. It was and it wasn't. I mean, it's weird to say, but it's almost like the, the, you referenced a miracle on ice. I mean, if the, you know, the, it was great that the, the USA team beat the Russians, but that wasn't the gold medal game. I mean, you know, if they beat the Russians and then they go on and lose to Sweden or whoever, whoever it was in the gold medal game and they're second, I mean, it doesn't have the same impact. And so 
I kid you not, we felt the same way. It was like, okay, this was great, but if we come out here tomorrow night and lose game seven, it doesn't matter. It was just a good game. And so there was, like, that created a ton of pressure. Like, we've got to win this game, and it was tough. I mean, and, and that's why it was so important for us to have Carp on the mound because he was the one guy that could, like, carry that pressure on his shoulders and, and give us a good performance. So, and, and, you know, candidly, Carp comes out, had a – yeah, he gave a little bit runs. of a tough, you know, start yeah. there in the first inning, but things get settled down in the second inning. And so here's a little insider baseball strategy for you guys, um, and we're it backfired on the Rangers. So you know, and I'm a coach now. I coach in college, and and I've really you know learned all these lessons. But Albert, no doubt, Albert, greatest hitter you know that I've ever seen. But you can't be so scared of one guy that you allow it to impact the entire rest of the series, which is what happened in the and. Here's what I mean by that. So, in the in that so they score two runs in the first inning, mm -hmm. and then we come back in the first inning. Now in a game in a game seven like that, if you can get up and play from in front and really hold that momentum for three, four, five innings, then it's like desperation mode, and guys start pressing. We got to get back in this game, and it's actually easier to win, you know, from in front. Obviously, so it was critical for us to get back in the game really quickly. So in that in that inning, in the bottom of the first, uh, they were so scared of Albert that. Um, you know, he, the, the pitcher got two outs, Albert comes up, and, they, and, the, and the guy just like, he was t purposely pitching around Albert. But when he did that, he lost his release point. So I come up next, and he throws four balls to me that aren't even close. And then that brings up the hottest hitter in America, you know, who uh, freeze, and, and he hits a two. A, yeah, double. He hits yeah. a double that ties the game, and now it's like, at that point, any momentum that they had was totally erased. Now, if I'm managing the game, I'm like, you get two out. It's the first inning for Pete's sake, and we got a two-run lead. Worst thing that could happen is Albert hits a solo homer. We still got a two-run lead, or I mean a one-run lead. Why would you do that? And it really, I think, messed with their pitcher. He's so careful, and it's weird how that, like, once you lose that release point, sometimes it's hard to get that command back. And I know for a fact that my at-bat, it was because they weren't scared of me right-handed, but it was like, you know, one, two, three, four. I mean, he was not even close. And so – you know, then all of a sudden, now he's in a pickle because now he's got first and second and a good hitter up there. It's just that's where that strategy, in my opinion, really backfired on him. It could have cost him the World Series. Well, and just all of us watching, it was clear once we got those two runs back, our entire team played differently. Carp came out with a different mindset mm -hmm. that clearly settled everybody down. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of like, the, okay, that first inning's a wash. Now you're into the competition. You got a sweat going. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're just the butterflies kind of dissipate, and now you're just playing baseball. And we ended up having a really good rest of the game, and, and it was never, you know, it was weird because as, as intense as game six was, after that first inning of game seven, it was kind of a ho-hum game. I mean, we got, you know, we ended up tacking on, tacking on. We got a three-run lead. What, you know, it's just like, well, we're going to win, and there it was. So. so putting a bow on it for you, the world championship and Lance Berkman's career, what does that mean for you? What did that team mean for you? Man, it's, it's indescribable. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about that moment and watching that ball because you, you really do, like, work your whole life to be in that position, as corny as that sounds, and – you know, it's, it's almost like, and I told my wife this, you know, years ago when we were talking about it, but it was almost like that game six at bat, every at bat and every hour and every ball that I'd ever hit in my entire life was like leading to that one moment. And then, you know, all of that work and, and everything pays off. And then when you win the World Series, there's just this indescribable feeling of accomplishment. 
And I just remember turning around and I gave Tony a huge bear hug. And, you know, it's like you can't believe it. Like, we're world champions. Like, we're, there's not another team on the planet that's better than we are at baseball. It's, you can't even hardly get your mind around it. And so as sweet as it is in that moment, it's increasingly sweet as you get older and kind of look back on that and have these memories to think about and the relationships. And, you know, the one thing that made that particular championship so special was all the guys on that team. And, I mean, I can't wait to go and, you know, just give everybody a hug. I hadn't seen some of the guys in 10 years since, but it's going to be like we just picked up yesterday or, you know, we just picked right up where we left off. And um, it was just a really special team. A lot of great guys, a lot of good friends that I still have to this day on that team. Well, we are so proud that you are part of the Cardinals' legacy here. We have a couple of items in the museum collection. This is one of them. This was one of your postseason bats. And uh, we're proud to have that as part of our permanent collection here at the Cardinals Museum. And uh, it's great to have you back here at the Cardinals Hall of Fame Museum. Lance Berkman. Lance is an all-timer. There is no doubt about it. One of the great guys to ever wear the Cardinal uniform, both in the contributions he made in his short time on the field, the way that he communicates with the fans, and the way that he led in the clubhouse. I really, truly enjoyed that. I always, because I'm a baseball nerd, I'm a history nerd, I always enjoy all the episodes we get to do here, especially the ones that sit alumni down, which has been a, a good share of what we've brought you this year. But, I mean, this one to me was just right in my wheelhouse, so I hope you got as much delay out of it as I did. I also hope that on Sunday, October the 3rd, we're all delighted as the Cardinals host the Cubs, and that day will honor the career of broadcaster Mike Shannon, 20,000 fans ages 16 and older, taking home a unique T-shirt celebrating Shannon's 50 years in the broadcast booth. That is courtesy of our friends at Phillips 66. For tickets or more information, visit cardinals.com slash promotions. That's the last game of the season. Hopefully it's the launching of this Cardinal team on a magic ride of their own. Ten years after the 2011 Cardinals came out of nowhere to shock the baseball world, as I believe Mike Shannon put it once so famously. Hey, hope that you really have uh, enjoyed this episode. It's always good to bring it to you. We are with you again one more time for a regularly scheduled episode at the end of this month, which is September as I speak. And then we'll be sprinkling these through uh, throughout the winter, the off season, here and there. So be following along wherever it is that you listen. If you could give us a positive rating or review if you like the show, we really appreciate that. And as always, you can hit me up via email, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. For Brian Finch, Lance Berkman, my name's Brett McMillan. Thanks for joining us on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.